0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Warlord Games official podcast, the podcast that digs into the wonderful games that Warlord puts out for us to play and enjoy, the Warlord Enthusiast. Now, unlike some other recent Warlord casts where we've spoken with authors about upcoming and exciting new games from Warlord, Octune Panzer is coming, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we're going to do something a little different. Recently... On Australia Day, we had Australia's largest annual bolt action event at the CanCon Gaming Convention. Now, we have had lots of requests on this show and through this network to discuss the Australian meta or Australian gaming in general or the bolt action community. So I thought I would kind of roll it all together. And joining me today to talk about, Australia's largest event, is the man who ran it himself, one of the three TOs, the main TO, uh, back by popular demand after a three-year hiatus, one of Australia's greats, Peter West. Welcome to the cast.
1: Thank you for embarrassing me once again, Brad. Pleasure. It's what
0: I do. It is a real pleasure to have you on, mate. It is always a pleasure to talk shop with you. And I'm sure going through the mountain of data that you sent over, um, we are going to have a real interesting conversation about what were the hots and not hots of CanCon this year. But of course, joining us is yet another man who is, this is starting to be sort of habit forming for him. The man who took the big trophy home, the top player at CanCon this year for the third time in a row aaron russell welcome to the warlord games podcast
2: hey brad thanks thanks for having me and it was uh, a pleasure to finally meet you in person this time
0: i did not uh, if you've listened to the cast dice and ghost army podcast uh coverage of cancon you will know that i didn't do nearly as well as you uh, but it was amazing to actually meet you in the person and uh, to see you playing the game uh I have lots of questions about your army. You of course took a minor power list this time. Uh, Of course you were taking Romanians, but before we get to any of that, I think it's important to sort of lay out the groundwork for those of us who are listening in other countries to understand what CanCon is and what made CanCon's player pack a little different than what you might see during an international event for bolt action. Um, Now, CanCon is a very long-running gaming convention for all kinds of games. It always happens in Canberra on Australia Day weekend. And since Bolt Action has come out in first version way back when, CanCon has been the home of Australia's largest Bolt Action event. Pete, as the TO, can you give us some of the bullet points of what made the player pack for CanCon this year What were some of the notables for those who are wondering, before we get into the what were people taking, how many points, what were the selection requirements, what were some things that people needed to know?
1: Um, So uh, it was a thousand point event over two days, so five games. Um, And some of the things people might want to know about the pack are that um, I'm, I have my own views about what makes for a balanced event, so I had tweaks to the rules. Um, uh, I won't go through all of them, but um, I limited the number of flamethrowers to one per platoon, and also in terms of um, army structure, I made that you could either take two generic platoons or one. theater platoon out of any of the rule books and that's just i guess to balance the way that some of those theater platoons offer quite a variety of options that break the normal sort of um, structure of an army some of the other sort of oddities i threw in there are the machine gun rule that some of has some of you have um, trialed around the world Um, and that is that machine guns gave one free pin when they targeted a unit and they gave an additional pin if they hit the unit as well and as i say there are a couple of units which i which i just um decided to limit like Gurkha paris um (laughs) and were any of the rule tweaks that stood out to you brad as a player that uh your list
0: the big one for me of course was the double single reinforced platoon or regular reinforced platoon or the one theater selector list, because that really does shape the character of the list that you want to be running. Of course, you mentioned a couple of the theater selector lists that really do sort of throw out some, some wacky selections as far as listing. Of course, I'm thinking right away. In fact, the one I always think of first is the tractor factory list where you, it's possible for you to take three inexperienced special, um, just off the factory line T-34s, and there was someone who did that at this event. But, you know, there was all kinds of different lists, and I thought that that selective choice as a TO to kind of rein in a little bit of what people might bring but also allow people to bring the flavor really set the tone with a lot of the listing, and there were some really cool original lists at this event. Um, You also had a little footnote at the end of the player pack that said something like if you are looking to historically theme something um, that doesn't necessarily match up with what the list has, you can uh, add or you can talk to the TO and possibly something, you know, accommodation can be made. I know, for example, I played Adam Stone in round two and he had an Australian list that had a sentinel and an obscure armored car, neither of which is technically in the Australian list, but both of which were part of Australian forces. That didn't break his army at all, and it really made for a cool-looking army on the tabletop that was a little different than what you'd normally expect. And yeah, it was just great to see. So that was for me. Aaron, you also obviously played in this event. Anything from that pack jump out on you other than what we've already talked about?
2: I think if yeah, I, I like it when um, if theaters are going to be used. I think limiting to one makes sense, um, definitely. Because yeah, there can be some, especially now. There's so many different campaign books out there and whatnot, and a lot of the theaters can get pretty wacky pretty quickly <laughs> and hard to contain. So yeah, I think I think uh, I think that's definitely good. I actually enjoyed using a medium machine gun this time i didn't take one last year with the rule and i, I got to use one this time and oh boy <laughs> i'd say yeah <laughs> it was it was it was good <laughs> so yeah good good to use that which was cool what, what yeah the multi launchers definitely uh was the other one throws, yeah yeah all the guns to be um i think good
0: limitations so I know that our European listeners, I I know uh, sometimes they get a little annoyed about this one, but I happen to think this is one of my favorite. Is the Panzerfors did not get the Tiger fear rule at this event, Uh, but anyway, I'll leave that alone. Uh, Pete, would you? What would you like to add to that?
1: Uh, I've, I've been nerfing Panzer IVs since uh, Tiger Fear was introduced. So uh, mm-hmm. look, I think one final thing I'll mention was that I also limited the number of bamboo spear units and the number of um, cavalry units to uh, two per army. Um, and so, again, I think that that just was about trying to ensure that every list was in some way had a chance of, I guess, you know, depend always depends on the general, but at least as a starting point, there was some left and right of arc in terms of the, the every list that people were bringing, and that there wasn't, um, I think, um, any really wacky or out there ones, which were uh, sort of skewed in a certain way to achieve victory in a very specific kind of way. They, in general, I'd say most of the lists were what I'd call balanced. Well, balance is probably not quite the right word, but were. Um, designed to deal with a range of issues they weren't just designed to be played in one particular way
0: exactly and i would say that your player pack was very clear and that people knew that this was a competitive event people knew that they needed to put their best foot forward but also people knew that this was an event where having fun was expected and you're not supposed to necessarily have fun at your opponent's uh, expense i guess is what i'm trying to say Uh um, which I, as a player, I thought was an important part and is one of the main reasons besides yourself coming back to CEO that I played. Let's talk about some of the other things here. We said it was a 1,000 points. It was 76 players initially. Oh, no, sorry, 72 players initially. But unfortunately, running up to the day, um, there were quite a few drops. So once we actually got to the weekend, we had between 60 and 61 players, depending on how you counted them. When we're talking numbers and percentages and player numbers today, it's important to remember that we are talking about uh, a sample size of 60 players. Um, Before we get into some of the big generalities, though, Aaron, could you talk to us about your list? Because yours was the winning list.
2: So I, I decided to run Romanians this uh, this year mm-hmm. uh, just for something different. I haven't run them at a big event before um, like CanCon or or Moab. Um, well, I don't think I've run them really at any event, but uh, yeah, I was keen to, to do something different. Um, and I went for a inexperienced slash regular formation. Yeah, I didn't have any veteran units of any kind. I ended up having about 16 units, I think, from memory. Um, But, yeah, I had uh, one for two generic platoons, two squads of regular riflemen, two squads of combat pioneers, all regular as well, regular medium machine gun, regular mortar, regular sniper, sort of one of each of the support items. Obviously, the free medium howitzer I used as the national rule. And then I selected... A armored car from a, as my axle support German unit, the 250 9. I've used that before and I've also used the eight rad as well. So just thought I'd try that one because I haven't used that one before. Although mm-hmm. I probably think the eight rads, I don't know, the extra range and the dual steering is pretty good. Um, and then uh, another inexperienced light artillery piece, a couple of inexperienced trucks. And then I had uh, two R1 tankettes. They're a bit funky. Um, they are just a little armored seven armored car, but they they have two machine guns, one turret mounted, one hull mounted, but they have overworked driver rule, which is not a good thing. Um, if they yeah. move, <laughs> they can't shoot uh, the hull gun. Um, there's only two crew and one's in the turret and one's driving and also shoots the hull MG. I guess, when he's not driving. So, not a great rule um but the, the 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 unit is yeah still quite useful uh anyway it's actually out of the stalingrad book there's no it's one of those ones where it's out of the early campaign books that don't have any mention of anything like mm-hmm. it doesn't even say it can be used in a certain theater or a certain thing it just has the unit entry and it's like they forgot to complete the rest but i did get approval to have those in there but um they're like a they're like a recce carrier but not as good because of obviously the rule <laughs> that rule yeah, that was, that's the list.
0: What were some of the key features of that list on the tabletop?
2: Well, I, I think it was just, everything was kind of like, I didn't have like a, you know, a tank that you drive on and just hose everything down or anything like that. So I really needed to rely on combined arms. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of everything working together. Um, you know, at, at once or like trying to double down on a particular unit or double team a unit. Although, oddly enough, I was, even though I only had regular inexperienced, I was outnumbered in three of my five games um, anyway. But yeah, it was, yeah, just trying to combine everything together, trying to get all the parts working together. Um, mm-hmm. But also it was, I felt it was a pretty well balanced list, mm-hmm. um, which I generally like to take i don't tend to like to skew too much to one side of the spectrum um so just kind of having a tool for nearly every job um although against armor nine tanks i found it quite difficult because the only Mm -hmm. thing i had really was uh, the uh, pioneer squads and they need to get like within six inches to even uh, stand a chance of doing anything to those armor nine Vehicles, So they, they can be a bit problematic um, with this list. But uh, yeah, just, just combine stuff. Actually felt like got really good use just out of regular rifles. That They were quite um, handy as well. Just that extra range. Not so good when they get up close, but pretty good that sort of 12 to 24. But yeah, just everything sort of working together and just kind of having all the tools in the shed.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but having heard about your list in the past, I know, for example, last year you took Soviets. You generally take this approach for most of the lists. You're not one who necessarily always leans on really fast lists or a particular gimmick. You like a combined arms force that sort of does a lot of things on the tabletop and allows you to push out in different ways on the tabletop, so to speak.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, I've kind of always had more of a balanced approach to sort of building a a list. Mm-hmm. Um, even if like even if for example even if flamethrowers were unlimited there's mm-hmm. no way i'd be taking more than probably two anyway or maybe even one in some lists for just as an example like if i was trying to really like yeah um play as competitively as possible so like it, that's just a small example but yeah i feel like skewing too far one way actually is a bit detrimental so even like something like Gurkhas. They're probably a bad example because they're almost good in every single which way and they're so <laughs> damn cheap for what they, yeah. you know, like why would you take anything else really? So, yeah, outside of sort of maybe a a paragurker, I guess, I wouldn't really like to skew my list too much, too much static or too much mobility or, yeah, I'd be like just sort of a bit of a balance list to do sort of a bit of everything is, um is the way
0: to go. Pete, as TO, you had the unique opportunity to walk around and watch people play this weekend. When I was playing, I didn't have much time to get around to look at other tables. Uh, the armies and the level of hobby for this event were excellent. And I did enjoy the army on parade section, but. You had the opportunity to walk around and look at everyone's lists to watch people play the games. What jumped out is you as the T.O. as maybe some generalities um, with people's lists, um, with ma- maybe what nations or order dice? What were some of the big takeaways for you when just quickly glancing at the event that went, huh? So that's what's big this year.
1: Coming into CanCon, I had myself played at Moab, so which is, I guess, Sydney, um, Australia's largest city, has a big event. Not quite as big as CanCon, but big still. So I'd sort of... Come out of that with some views about what the Australian sort of meta is at the moment, and mm-hmm. they weren't actually confirmed by what happened at CanCon. So, yeah, what I walked away from um, Moab with was a sense that the meta at the moment, at least in Australia's uh, east coast, is um, Soviets, multi launchers, and auto cannons. And of those three, I think one was sort of foot stomped, and th- that is that the Soviets are definitely hot at the moment uh, mm-hmm. in the Australian meta. Of the top five lists, four were Soviets. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that gives you a bit of a sense, although one was that tractor factory list, so it's probably skews it somewhat. While we did see heavy auto cannons in the first three places, but after that, not so much. And then there was only one, two, three multiple, in The top ten, so didn't quite confirm what I was expecting, um, and um, I think uh, all of the top lists, if you just sort of look at what was in them, were actually quite balanced. They had a little, a lot of them had a little bit of everything. One of the oddities, which will probably skew because of the list, was the fact that more than half the lists had an MMG in them, and some had more than one MMG, and that was, I think, because it throw it throws out that free pin. But just from um, watching people play, I actually think that's a pretty good rule. It's it's simple to apply. doesn't require any extra dice rolls. And I think it reflects pretty well what an MMG did on the battlefield. And I know um, a lot of people um, are figuring out how to use that as a tactic.
0: It, it definitely shaped the way people were listing at this event. I actually faced an army that had two MMGs. And I can't tell you the last time I faced army that had two MMGs, and they were scary. He was throwing pins down on my units really aggressively with those. And it really did feel like World War II with MMGs being terrifying. Coming into this event, I heard a lot of people talking about how the hotness was Soviets, but also British lists. And looking at the results, there was one British player technically in the top 10 and one australian player and both of those were at the upper levels as in ninth and tenth place that said there were more british players than anyone else weren't there
1: yes indeed the british were uh very popular they were the largest nationality for cancon i'm just double checking but i believe there were 17 british players for cancon Mm -hmm. which is um out of uh, a 60 players that's um just short of a third of your field. Uh, the next closest allied was Soviets with 10 players. Yeah, the Brits uh, were very big, which is really surprising given, what well, I thought the gap between the Brits, 17, and the US, five. Yeah. Uh, um, last time I was doing on like three years ago, there was a pretty even split, I would argue, between the allied list. So I was a bit surprised when I saw those list numbers, I must say.
0: Let's go through the list. So we have the British with 17. Soviets with 10, as you said, Germans 14, U.S. had five, Australians four. I guess it's because that we are Australia and people will play our army here. Italians three, though, uh, could be to do with all those great new warlord kits that have come out. Two Chinese lists. Romanians had two. French had one. Hungarians had one. And only one Japanese player. So that was our breakdown that is uh pretty wild. Uh it definitely made me wish that I didn't play uh British and did play the Japanese for the event just to bump up those numbers. Um were there any other numbers in there that surprised you Pete? Uh
1: I thought the French were quite low given all of the recent very nice kits warlord has released. Hmm. I thought we'd see more French and I've and I've tinkered around with a number of French builds which I think could be quite good, but I guess that they're often a lot of inexperienced infantry. So that's a fair bit of painting. So maybe that deters people.
0: That's very true. Well, if you do the math here, we are talking 17 axis. We are talking 34 allied and nine minor powers. One of the big questions that people always ask about is order dice, because it is such an integral mechanic in the game. And the average order dice for this event was 13.3. So the lowest order dice list was eight. uh, And that list came 59th. The highest was 19th. And there were, sorry, was 19. And there were several 19 lists, mine being one of them. However, the highest was Bo's Italians. And they came in at, I believe, 15th. So there were, I think most of the time I was looking around, around 12 to 14 dice. Of course, there are some variants higher or lower to give us that average of 13.3. That is a little lower than what I was expecting for a quote unquote competitive event. I know that there was all kinds of lists at this event and people taking all kinds of vehicles and units in there. But I almost would have expected that to be more around an average of 14 or 15.
2: Yeah, eight. I didn't know there was eight. yep. Um, eight eight is low, but I was about to sort of say I think I think you could almost make anything work, but I think eight eight is a bit low. I, I feel like anything sort of like 10, 10 to oh, 17 is probably the sweet spot in my opinion, yeah. something yeah. between 10 to 17, I think is like, yeah, there, there might be a, certain, a couple of formations that could be either side of those numbers, but I feel like if you've got something in that range, that's probably going to give you the, the the best outcome. I'm a bit, bit surprised. Um, I, I, it's nine, What did you say the highest was? 19.
0: 19. There were several 19s and I was one of them. I had to say, though, that if we're looking at the top 10, and I know a lot of people only care about the top 10, most of those were 14. Well, I should say about half of those were 14. You, of course, had 16. Um, their second place had 15. Um, then there was 13, 17, a bunch of 14s and a 12. So if you look at the top 20, 14 is by far the most common result. Um, and I think that um, personally, fourteen is usually the number of order dice if I'm playing competitively in event um, at about a thousand points that I would personally take. And I, I am not surprised to see that as the most common result. Pete, would as Tio, were you surprised by that?
1: Uh, I was surprised by the eight as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was a brave, brave individual. And the fact that they didn't come last uh, by a long shot is, uh, I think, a testament to that player. But my own personal view is about, for, for a 1,000 points, I'm, I, I'm always aiming for about four, Um I think that, um, and, you know, as you say, if you look at the top 20, I would, I haven't crunched the numbers, but I would say the average of that top 20 is somewhere very close to 14, probably 14 point something, I would guess.
0: Let's talk about headquarter choices. Now, normally, when we talk about headquarter choices, competitive players typically say the cheaper the lieutenant, the better. In fact, many people refer to lieutenants as the lieutenant tax. They are maybe not the most efficient um, use of your points if you are trying to buy the most bang for your buck, but they are an important part of your army. Now, at this event, 53 players out of the 61 had second lieutenants we had five first lieutenants we had one captain uh, and the player who had a captain i played he actually had the trifecta of a second lieutenant a first lieutenant and a captain all in one list Uh, but then because of the nuances of certain army lists we had a warlord in a chinese list there was a a bantam in a british list and uh, assorted other bits and pieces leadership wise I was not surprised to see a majority of players uh, rocking the second lieutenant but it was cool to see five people taking first lieutenants I was not surprised by that at all um by the overall result
2: I had uh second lieutenants um I do like giving my lieutenants friends i just feel like that you know because you giving you can you can give them whatever weapon you want as well. So essentially, if you've got two guys, you're also getting, you know, that extra six points or ten points of your German because they get the rifles. I think, mm-hmm. you know, so you're getting that free weapon upgrade as well. It's still a small team; they just become a bit more useful, popping out exactly. like four shots. Or if you're super brave and want to go three, three men popping out six is actually not
1: too bad.
0: Peter, are you surprised by the leadership choices that all here?
1: No. We've all been playing Voltaxon long enough to know that, as Aaron said, the first go-to choice is always a second lieutenant, um, probably with one guy if you're going to spend some extra points on your command. Um, both so you get a free weapon upgrade and basically two small squads that you can try and use to hold uh, objectives or something like that. Uh, most people I, I know are allergic to investing in more expensive officers, but... <laughs> As a to i've seen them used really well and i should learn the lesson myself um because it, it was you know from your game with the captain those mm-hmm. senior officers can occasionally be very decisive because of both the morale bonus and the number of um snap two dice they throw out so um but i think you know at the end of the day you're not going to change the bolt action culture and the second lieutenant reigns
0: yeah peter bruggerman's french list where he had a bunch of inexperienced squads with the captain and the the other lieutenants, uh man, those inexperienced squads didn't go anywhere. And I I was pounding him with machine gun fire, and he just walked off all the pins and he got to do anything he wanted, it was pretty wild. And he when he snapped, half his army went. It was pretty, it was uh it was a master class in how to do that. And I think if you are going to Rely on that as a strategy. Um, You should practice it. And he clearly did. Speaking of machine guns. Now, here's a statistic you don't hear at all the bolt action events. 50% of the bolt action armies, over 50%, had medium machine guns at this event. We are talking 34 out of 61 players were rocking machine guns. Medium machine guns, I should say. Which is astonishing Not only because medium machine guns are often not commonly seen in competitive events, but also what are the most, you know, the new hotness on the block or one of the hot meta choices, which are autocannons. If we had 34 lists that had medium machine guns, there were 36 lists with autocannons. That made me fall out of my chair when I looked at it. Um, And it just... I think really did speak volumes about how much people were into that rule where medium machine guns can do a second pin. Peter, I know that you were expecting all of the auto cannons walking into this event. Were you surprised by those numbers?
1: Um, no, look, I think there's a sort of been a recognition over the last sort of, I think it's one of the key things that's changed since I've come back to, to TOing for Bolt Action after sort of three years away that... that Um, Auto cannons are just, um, people understand what value they are, the two shots with the potentially throwing out then four hits. So they were seeing them not only as ground mounts, but increasingly as the the primary vehicle weapon. Um, Doesn't surprise me at all. And um, I will be very interested in whether a future edition of bolt action does anything to curb the effectiveness, the cost effectiveness of these weapons.
0: What's also interesting is, if you look at the top ten, eight of the top ten lists had medium machine guns, and only three of the top ten lists had autocannons. That said, Aaron, you had three autocannons, uh, and then number eight uh, had two autocannons, and number nine had one. So... um Auto cannons in the top ten, not as popular as machine guns. Uh, Aaron, what are your thoughts?
2: I only had two auto cannons. I think oh, um, my mistake. But that's all right. But uh, yeah, like they're they're good. They're pretty pretty well rounded. And because not seeing that all that many people using armor nines anymore, because armor nine is what scares me the most when I've got a vehicle mounted, you know, auto cannon. Because like I I can't touch you. And you, you can chew me away or kill me pretty easily. Um, so because not seeing as many of those, I feel like th- they're quite a, an easy, easy take and they don't have as many threats out there. I also took a heavy auto cannon um, mm-hmm. artillery piece. But I would say uh, in review, it was probably my worst performing unit um, of the entire event. Um, for a few different reasons but um yeah probably could could have used that 60 points somewhere else definitely but yeah they're good they just they do you know you get a couple of extra shots but it's the fact i like them because they are good against lots of different targets yeah. anything that isn't armor i i say armor eight I know a lot of people say oh, bring bring your auto cannons to destroy armor eights but i don't think the light auto cannon is very reliable to do that but it's it's that they're basically good at en- anything armor seven or less the auto cannon threatens them i, think. I
0: well, think i'm glad you brought up tanks because that is my next talking point it's almost like you're looking at my spreadsheet which actually weirdly or not there were 78 percent of the lists at this event ran armored vehicles or tanks i should say not just armored cars just tanks So 78% of that, 21% or 13 of the lists ran two tanks. And one list, as we mentioned earlier, the Stalingrad Tank Factory, of course, had three. Now, what's interesting is if we include armored cars in this discussion, so that's going to skew the numbers a little bit, we had nine Armor 7 vehicles on the tabletop at this event. 28 armor eight vehicles so half the field just about was rocking armor eight light armor tanks but now aaron you mentioned not being overly concerned about armor nine because there weren't many there were 18 armor nine vehicles at this event and only one armor 10 which makes me really wish i brought a STUG 33B to this event. Um, Looking at these numbers has me listing in so many different ways. Um, Pete, you saw all the vehicles rolling in for this event. Um, I mean, we often see tanks and armored vehicles being an integral part of bolt action games. They're just such a important part of World War II gaming in general. And, you know, people like taking tanks and bolt action or vehicles in general. So
1: just, a minor caveat that's tank slot vehicles. So it doesn't, not every one of those was an armoured tank per se, although the vast right. majority were. Um, but look, holds true, as I say, the vast majority were um, armoured tanks. And it was one of the things I was most interested in when I was sort of looking at the stats for this, because I was, I also was very interested in that question of those armoured nine vehicles, because my sense of the, at least the Australian meta is that. The people are increasingly lying on light tanks, light anti-tank guns, autocannons, rather than um, heavy armor or heavy tanks. So, by and large, um, this event largely confirmed that sort of hypothesis. And it also, um, what you know, some of the interesting nine tanks and how they did, I think, also shows how. I guess people have run down their AT capability. A lot of people, if you look at some of the numbers, seem to be relying on man-portable AT, so either a Panzerfaust or a Piat or a, a Soviet um, bomb dog deal with those heavier AT, and most of the guns they are rocking are at that 3, 4-plus level. So I can understand why Aaron was concerned about 9-plus tanks because people are sort of planning to deal with those um, on a by exception basis from what I can see, rather than sort of build army around the fact that you're likely to see one of those.
0: Speaking of tools that a lot of people use to get rid of tanks, it's interesting that at this event, 44% of the list had flamethrowers and four out of the 60 lists had two flamethrowers. What's interesting with that is, the list that at, were at the very top tended to have flamethrowers. In fact, all of the lists that had two flamethrowers were in the top 15. It was also the very bottom had flamethrowers. So it seemed like the top of the pack and the bottom of the pack had flamethrowers and almost no one in the middle did, um, which I thought was a really interesting statistical variance or um, occurrence. I, should, I should suppose it's a better way of saying that. Likewise, multi-launchers there were only six multi-launchers at the event three of those were in the top 10 but a bunch of those were at the bottom as well with a little bit of smattering across the board that is really interesting to me that we have the very top with these weapons that are considered you know very competitive choices but also sort of the bottom of the pack had them liberally applied as well but the middle of the pack was more of a scrappy affair without those uh,
2: fl- flamethrowers. We everyone kind of knows what they do, they kill things, <laughs> but they have to get extremely close to do so. And usually, they're not doing anything in the first couple of turns. Sometimes that depends on the game and the scenario, but you know, that they, they, they are quite predictable in what they do or what your opponent is trying to do with them because they don't have a lot of agency it's get mm-hmm. within six inches or you're doing nothing so they can be interesting to use i think you know one or two is definitely handy and they can threaten almost anything in the game as well so they're quite quite flexible in that that way but also yeah what a interesting that I, i've it, sorry how many did you say were there in total out of all the lists there yeah.
0: were 27, so 44-ish percent of the field had flamethrowers, and there were six multi-launchers. Okay.
2: Yeah, not too surprised with the multi-launchers, especially as you go you know, down in points, the multi-launchers become less valuable because there's generally less targets. But they're, they're a bit hit and miss. I have some gripes with multi-launchers. I, most of the time, I think I'd just rather a medium mortar, to be honest. Or mm-hmm. some form of indirect that's a bit more reliable. The main mm-hmm. problem with the multi-launcher is even if you hit, you don't actually get to choose what you hit. Whereas yeah. with an indirect fire weapon of any other kind, you get to choose, and you you eventually you're probably going to hit them because you get to range in and get better. That's what I. That's probably the one thing I'd say about the multis. But yeah, flamethrowers. I'm actually surprised. That's very low. Fifty percent of players. I would have thought it'd be more like up around the eighty or ninety. That's I find that yep. surprising actually.
0: Well, you're playing on the top tables up there. They were very prolific. So uh, it was interesting because I played over the weekend because I was playing roughly in the middle of the pack a good chunk of the time. I played very few flamethrowers over the event. So my perception of the event was that flamethrowers were perhaps not very popular anymore because I was looking around going, no one has flamethrowers. Turns out they did. They just were above and below me in the pack.
1: Look, the multi-launcher result doesn't surprise me. It's a swing, so I'm not surprised that it's at the top of the list and the bottom of the list. And I don't, I don't just mean the people at the top of the list were lucky with them. I think that if you're taking a multi-launcher and you're good play, you know how to use it to channel forces and that sort of thing. So yeah. I'm not surprised. There's a big list, uh, a big split between multi-launchers between the top and the bottom. Um, look, flamethrower numbers, I'm too a little bit surprised that we didn't see more of them. My only other observation on flamethrowers would be um, if you look at the flamethrower numbers and then you look at the transport numbers, there's almost a one-for-one, one, I think, everywhere except one list, there's a one transport for one flamethrower. Um, so I think that's how you're seeing people use them. They're um, mm-hmm. more often than not being tools and um, uh, use, run up and used as uh, in that way, people jumping those flamethrowers out.
0: If I may, though, if you look at the data at the top, that's 100% right. If you look at the data at the bottom, there is a discrepancy between the two in a lot of lists. So there are a lot of lists that have flamethrowers that don't have transports. And there's a lot of lists that have transports that don't have flamethrowers. It's almost like they alternate on the line of the spreadsheet, which makes me think that flamethrowers, unsurprisingly to anyone, are much more effective when you can get them close enough to use them. I hadn't noticed that till you just said that and I took a good look across the line. But at the in the top half, those those two columns are almost identical. Which brings us to transports, where we had 30 of the lists, which is 50%, had transports. Interestingly, we had 7 lists with double transports, 4 lists with triple transports. Now, if you're wondering, armored transports are a different column here. There were 11 lists that had armored transports. Four of them had double transports. And there was only one list in the entire event that had triple armored transports. And that was me. Transportation wise, I was honestly expecting more uh, because if we are putting your best foot forward, maybe it's because i like to play highly mobile lists but in my opinion you would always want to put in as many transports as possible to get your troops where they need to be bolt action being an objective based game in most scenarios and a lot of these scenarios at this event were objective based i had three armored transports and a truck in my list to get my forces where they needed to be
2: i guess yeah, a thousand points. I mean, a lot of the events played out recently have been a lot more than a thousand. It's really refreshing mm-hmm. to only play a thousand this time. And I think it, you will naturally see more variants and, and things like this because, you know, a thousand, you've got to make more choices. In- interesting. I'm trying to remember my games. I think most people did have transports of some kind. I think there was maybe one or two that didn't. But um, I think anything can work. I think in a lot of missions, running guys up. 12 inches isn't, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Americans can always shoot and move. I'm surprised actually back tracking of that, that there was only five. I'm not sure why Australians are so, um, uh, uh, yeah, just stay clear of Americans all the time. That's such a good, uh, good army. Armored transports. I saw quite a few of those Brens, sort of towards the end. I think it was yeah. the
1: armoured transport ones that really surprised me. I was actually expecting to see a lot more Bren carrier spam. I mean, I was just surprised. There wasn't even in ones and twosies more sort of Bren carriers and other other of those um, uh, light armoured transports with an some sort of MMG. Um, that was the one that really surprised me. Yeah. But I think Aaron's right in terms of, it's in general, it's probably just as much a reflection of the fact that this is a, these were 1,000-point lists, whereas most, I'm trying to think, pretty much all of the major events I've been to in Australia recently have been um, more than 1,000 points. So I think people have, going to Cancom, particularly if they've used a list they've played before, it's, I think it's probably likely they've cut out the transports as one of the first things to go in trying to get it to a 1,000 um, a points.
0: Let's talk about armor penetration. I didn't actually total everything up but i did want to talk about a couple of generalities there were quite a few people that relied on weapons that were just plus two or plus four armor penetration if you look at the top 10 most of the lists had a three or better armor penetration up to a four or better there were i guess it was one two but there's only two lists, three lists, sorry, three lists in the top 10 that had five or better armor penetration. It's like people were banking on lighter armor being there at this event. There were very few six plus armor penetration. Ironically, there was more seven plus, uh, but those tended to be towards the bottom of the field. I, I don't want to disparage heavy guns as I do occasionally like to run them, but I do think that they are a little pricey uh, in a meta, especially if folks are running light armored vehicles, which are smaller that they can more, uh, how should I say, from from having played people at this event, people were more cautious with them and hiding their lighter vehicles. So they were often getting cover back. It just makes those big guns even less effective. And um, I was... Not terribly surprised to see that there were so few of them, and the few of them were there. Unfortunately, it, it appears didn't do unbelievably well um, with them.
1: By far and away, the most popular AT weapon was a light gun of some sort. So, you know, 4-plus four, four plus penetration. People seem to think, just looking at the list, that the combination of either a 3-plus penetration weapon of some sort plus a um, noting that that was I was only sort of looking at guns there, um, didn't count like Panzerfaust. So it, as I say, the popular approach seems to be a three or four plus in terms of some sort of um, light armor-penetrating weapon, and combining that with a bit of a backup in terms of man-portable anti-tank, again like Panzerfaust, Piat, or one of the Soviet options, probably backstopped again by a flamethrower of some sort. Most that seems to be the most popular approach. I'm just looking down the list, and you don't see the first 6-plus anti-tank until position 23. I guess that's a question, again, interested to see the next edition as to how they look at the points for those heavier anti-tank weapons, as to whether they're sort of set at the right level. Um, But yeah, by far and away, the most popular combination was a relatively light anti-tank weapon, mostly a 3 or 4-plus combined with some sort of um, man-portable anti-tank. Um, but there was a couple of people even in the top 10. So 9 and 10 were only rocking a four pluses, their best anti-tank weapon, no mm-hmm. man portable anti-tank.
0: And the man who won was only his best, was a plus three, right, Aaron?
2: Uh, yeah, I had a Faust. Uh, I had two, actually. One right. in, uh, each and two squads. But yes, you're right. Yeah, just the um, autocannon was the highest pen I had outside of those.
0: Would anyone be terribly surprised, given the proliferation of British and Soviet players, that if we looked at free units as uh, a number at this event, that 33 of the lists, over 50% of the lists had a free unit of some kind in it. Now, Pete, the pack did specifically say your list could only have one free unit. So for those wondering, there weren't multiple free units running around. I initially thought that was unbelievably high. But then if you factor in that, if you combine British and Soviets, that's 27 free units. It means that there was only six other free units at the event. And given there was two Chinese players and a few other bits and pieces, it actually sounds about spot on. I will be perfectly honest. When I was thinking about listening for this event, I was initially thinking I was going to take my uh, Black Death Soviet Army uh, because I've been painting up some of the Warlord medals and I absolutely love them. And one of the reasons why I was going to take Soviets was what I really thought it would be uh, an advantage to get that free ten or sorry 12-man inexperienced squad. Ironically, it was the painting of that 12-man squad that led me away from the Soviets. Um, And then when Pete suggested that I take my old Indian list, I took my British uh, list, which, of course, also had a free unit in the form of the free 10 man regular squad, not the free artillery uh, observer. Uh, Because in my mind, it was it made the British and the Soviet list that I was planning on taking very similar as far as the the cost benefit. And I didn't have to paint more. Aaron, are you surprised by that many free units? And as a man who took an army with a free unit, is that one of the reasons why at a thousand points, um, because it is a big swing in points. It's like getting an extra 10% of points on the tabletop. Was that why you took the Romanians?
2: Not too surprised. Cause probably half the armies out there get them. Like a lot of armies do get a free unit of some kind. The Romanian one's, or, well, depending on what you decide to take, it is one of the cheaper free units out there. It doesn't get you to 100, and you obviously need to pay for the spotter. Most free units do come out at about valued at 100 points. But, um, yeah, the the free arty ones obviously never, never do. Uh, definitely not the reason I chose them. It's handy. They don't really get any other – like, yeah, you get a German unit you can buy – it's just a unit that another nation gets anyway. It's not like you get it for free or anything. So they don't really get a lot of, a lot of other. Well, they don't get any other sort of special rules unless you're using the new case blue stuff. But no, I wasn't not surprised by the number, um, just because of the amount of amount of nations out there. Especially if it was Soviets and British being the highest, then yeah, I think there'd be be quite a few for sure.
1: Yeah helps go somewhere to explaining why there are only five american players like I, I think aaron's right at a thousand points um i think people are probably considered the value of that free unit more than they would in a 1250 point list and probably weigh it more highly and i think that's probably one of the reasons why we see saw a lower number of americans because what well, a free unit i think that was probably a factor that weighed on people's minds so i think if you did these sort of statistics in twelve fifty point game, I think you'd see some sort of rebalancing. But mm-hmm. at a thousand points, that free unit, particularly a British free unit, when you know you are talking pretty much hundred points, is a uh, going to, I think, swing people towards army selection. When you're talking, certainly British and Soviets.
0: Let's talk one of the fewer uh, units taken at this event. Intelligence officers. There was one. Medics, there were two. There were other uh, commonalities across here. There was uh, surprisingly few motorcycles at, at this event. There was, however, one player that had three motorcycles. There were few flame tanks at this event. From my understanding, there were two, sorry, one flame, no, two flame tanks at this event. There was a Povsky's Private Army flamer jeep we had five bazookas and five panzer shrek total between the two of them Uh, there was 188 we had three Kubelblitzes blitzes across the event two of them were interestingly in one list there was a list that had two panzer threes and of the the old quad maxim There were three of those across the event, and two of those were number two and number three. There were very few, quote unquote, DACA stewards at this event, but there were a few around. Am I missing any big takeaways, Pete, anything from the listing that you think should be mentioned about additional units?
1: Look, I mean, I agree with you. I was a little surprised there weren't more motorcycles. Um... Uh, interestingly, the, the Stuarts were generally in the Soviet lists, not in the British lists. Although, no, there was a, certainly a number of British Stuarts. Uh, the one that really stood out for me for the weekend was the Kubel Blitz. So, number eight place that, and the uh, top German list had two Kubel Blitzes in it. So, this is the paper tank. I, I think might have one or two of them might have made it in the last days of the war. But um, so it's in bolt action. It's nine plus armor enclosed with two heavy auto cannons. So it's kind of the intersection of all of the things that I think are um, uh, interesting in bolt action, certainly in the meta at the moment. In the sense that it's nine plus armor, which people don't expect. It's enclosed, which is not a combination you often get with auto cannons, and it's got two heavy auto cannons. So it's. Interestingly, when I saw these this list, um, I didn't think it would be very successful. In fact, I, you know, it came number eight, but I actually thought it would be right at the bottom, no matter who the player, good or not. Just because I thought that the cost of the Kubel Blitz, which I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, the thing's about 230 points, would mm-hmm. outweigh those benefits. So you know, two Kubel Blitzes was almost half your force. But no, I was wrong. The combination of people not having the good options to deal with that nine plus armor Um, a lot of good options to deal with nine plus armor plus those dual shots from heavy auto cannons which can pretty much reach anywhere in the board was really really strong and i must admit as a to next time i see two kubal blitzes i I, unless depending on how competitive i'm trying to make the event i might uh, think about asking for a resub but I, i think aaron played that list aaron do you have any views
2: yeah, I did. I played it in the last game. I mean, yeah, the Kugelblitz Blitz is starting to become pretty popular, pretty much everywhere. The um, secret, I think, of the Kugelblitz Blitz come out about a year and a bit ago. But I think um, it's it is good. But I think the thing with the Kugelblitz Blitz is the fact that what it doesn't want to see doesn't get played. So any tank guns, people don't play them. A Kugelblitz Blitz doesn't want to see any tank gun on the other side of the table. And it doesn't want to see armor nines that have any tank guns and they don't get used all that often either. Like if this, if you, if you've got two Google blitzes and you are lucky enough to avoid playing any of the people that have the heavy, any tank gun tanks running around, then you're laughing because you virtually don't have a threat. You've got armor nine, you're fully enclosed uh, yet your weaponry. Um, if they don't have armor nine on the other side, you pretty much just obliterate anything they have. So you've got two units that can obliterate whatever they've got and they don't have a single thing that threatens you. So that's that's the, um, I think the thing with the Kugelblitz. Blitz. If I was running a Cougar Blitz, I wouldn't want to be seeing like a T-34 on the other side. I wouldn't want to be seeing a Panzer four. I wouldn't want to be seeing a Sherman. I wouldn't want to be seeing any tank gun, although no one's going to have one probably anyway. <laughs> Those sorts of things that aren't um, getting used uh, or as much are your main threat and yeah. you're not seeing them so i think that's also what's what's good and those things that you see a lot of like the armor 8s tanks the Kuber Blitz can shred those because they get they have got four shots at the plus 3 pen they they basically threaten everything in the other person's army without pretty much having a care in the world so that's the, that's why they're good but if people started run, if everyone you started playing had a sherman or a t34 or a medium tank with a medium at then the Cougar Blitz wouldn't be so great. It's it's in, it's interesting, but it is a good tank because simply because it can do a lot against everything, and and a lot of its concerns um, aren't being used. So yeah, uh, I played I played it. Um, yeah, look, I, there wasn't a lot I could do against them, um, ended up killing them, but I with flamethrowers and Panzerfaust. But it wasn't until sort of turn four, five, I think, that that happened bit of a rough one trying to deal with those early and they're just sort of having their way with some of my units um in the first couple of turns and i'm just trying to go down (laughs) um, to try and survive so
0: one of the things that people always talk about at these events is veterancy what veterancy are people running now we can make some comments about order dice because we already have But let's talk about the actual veterancy of the lists and whether they were generic reinforced platoon or if they were theater selector. So if we talk straight lists, lists that were almost entirely one veterancy and not mixing at this event, out of 61 players, we had 13 regular lists. We had 14 veteran lists and one Inexperienced list. Now, obviously, that doesn't add up to 61. It just means that all the other ones were mixed veterancy. Of those, we had 12 lists that were veteran and regular composites. We had nine that were regular and inexperienced. We had four that were veteran and inexperienced. And we had eight that had all three veteran, regular, and inexperienced. And if we're talking about generic reinforced platoons versus theater selectors, a third of the lists at this event were theater selector base. Two thirds were generic reinforced platoons. That seems to be, uh, leaning fairly heavily towards, uh, veteran and veteran regular combinations thereof inexperienced was clearly not as popular in this event although there were obviously 12 armies that did uh, pull inexperienced elements in
1: look just quickly to clarify that was looking at the infantry units. so look a lot of people took inexperienced mortars but they always do that so i didn't count that so i was looking at the infantry units but um the did surprise me i looked Maybe it's just my own skewed view that I tend to play inexperienced lists. I'm just surprised there weren't more inexperienced, completely mm-hmm. inexperienced lists in terms of just trying to pay that infantry tax or form a mass horde. So I was really surprised there wasn't more just infantry lists. The whole veteran regular thing just perplexes understand why that's a combo that people would take because you know i can understand regular inexperience to have one or two solid units or even veteran and inexperience but the Mm -hmm. whole veteran regular combo really surprised me it's just i don't i don't understand what it is um and always you expect a couple of just pure vet lists because there are people who like to know that their infantry that you know that's the backbone of their army that vet infantry vet infantry units so, yeah, I was actually, when I did the numbers, I was quite surprised that there wasn't more, specifically more um, inexperienced units. Um, and I guess kind of surprised at the high number of mixed forces, like rather than either picking all uh, veteran or regular or all inexperienced. So I don't know if it's been forever thus, and I've just never noticed it, or whether it, it was something about the local mix, um got such a mixed bag. I don't know. Aaron, you've probably played more local games recently. What was your perspective on it?
2: I'm a little bit surprised by that as well. I thought there would be more Inex units getting around, Inex infantry, especially at a 1,000, just because you can fit some more bodies in there as well. So I do find that a bit surprising. I do feel like, yeah, veteran is popular. But you know, and, and also, you know, there's those specialist type squads that some of the nations get that only come in veteran and they're yeah. quite popular, you know. So there, there is a probably, I feel like that would pay a bit of a part as well. But I, I my personal view is I think anything can work. I think regular can work. I think inex can work. I think VET can work. But, yeah, I am I'm a little bit surprised with the lack of inex, especially just because of the low points, values, um, but yeah, veteran doesn't doesn't surprise me that there was a lot of vets around, um, because they are popular choices, and I think have been, yeah, for for a while. Especially those specialist type units. When we're talking infantry squads, there we so we, sorry, we're just talking infantry, so not the snipers or machine guns or anything like that. It's just the
1: infantry correct, squads, correct? Not support. So You're it's right. just what what's what was the mix of the infantry mm-hmm. squads. And I, I note that interestingly second and third place were a mix of veteran regular and inexperienced in mm-hmm. their infantry. So I thought that was interesting, but they but then again, having said that, the player who won, whoever that may be, <laughs> was mm-hmm. using regular infantry.
0: Aaron did bring up something that I realized I neglected to mention earlier. I just don't know how I passed over that that column in the spreadsheet, uh, but there fifty percent of the armies at this event had snipers. Three people had double snipers and one person had a triple sniper. So, um, yeah, just a a little takeaway from there. Aaron, were you surprised that about a third of the field was using theater selectors, given that it was an option? Um, Or were you not surprised to see that two-thirds of the people were running generic reinforced platoons, given that there were quite a few people running dual reinforced platoons
2: no not not all that surprised i mean you can do some pretty funky things with theaters and also theaters sometimes will give you those quirky rules that you're not going to find in a generic and they can sometimes be used to great effect so not not surprised by the theater selection choices a third of the field um, is probably probably about right there are some nations that don't get a lot of options with theaters as well. So sometimes people might be less inclined to go down that route, but definitely not all that surprised. I'd be interested to know what portion of um, uh, theaters were from which nation, if there was, you know, maybe a standout, like one particular nation had all just, you know, they were the predominant nation having theaters or whatever. But yeah, not, not, not all that surprised with that. And I think too, like the lower points you go, probably people are going to, you know, less people are going to go to platoons. Um, And a lot of the time, some theatres are almost giving you what two generics would anyway as well. So that sounds about right, I reckon, those numbers. I would have probably estimated something like that.
0: Just to answer your question, because I do have that in front of me, it looks like a good chunk, if not most, of the theater selectors are British or Soviets. There were two CeeLo Heights players. Of course, we have the Tractor Factory, Fall of France, British List, uh, Off the Beaches, uh, several Indian Armies. There was a Burma Army again, British, 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 sowing mayhem. British Eighth Army, British. There's the Kursk Soviets. There's Operation Blue, German. Um, there's a couple of Italians. We have the Fusilieri at Sardinia and the. Uh, why am I suddenly blanking? Uh, Beau's beautiful army, the Coastal Division Army. Although that may not be a, that will just be a theme, not necessarily a theater selector. Um, I think of
1: those yeah. um, of those theater selectors just 2 I'll mention quickly was one the Sardinia one, and I, I mentioned that because it's um, uh, it's a it's a Warlord website special. It's one that they dropped a couple of months ago as mm. a uh, as an extra approved list, and someone picked it up and ran with it. It's not the most optimal list in the world really great to see someone theme a force for that special list but the one the one that was really interesting i found is the sowing mayhem list from western desert and this Mm -hmm. is one i sort of thought a lot about uh, whether i let in because for all intents and purposes it's a um it's a vehicle list it's um british sas in the desert um raiders in but um it's very in in the book it's very clearly and um uh, a normal bolt action theater list, not a, a tank wars list. I, you know, it, it's, it's a quite interesting one. And that's also the interesting command one, the Bantam command Jeep. I thought long and hard about letting that one in, but it was just so interesting. And the, and um, I knew the guy who was doing it. And I knew he was doing it because of the theme, not because he was trying to game the system. So I let it in and it was a great list to see. And ultimately um it, it's very challenging because there's very little real anti-tank in that list. And so he had a real uphill battle. Um, uh, he landed about mid pack, which I thought was a really great job given the challenge he faced to the lack yeah. of anti-tank. But it, that's one of the more interesting theater lists we saw.
0: Yeah. He, he ended up dead center of the pack. And as you say, he only had an armor penetration for all the weapons. His best was a two up uh, and his list was entirely veteran and 11 dice in general. He had a cool force and it was very themy, but he also had some restrictions uh, and some tight points to play with uh, to make that work at uh, how should I say a thousand points? So, yeah. Well, Pete, you have run CanCon for many years and you took a three year sabbatical and you have come back. Do you have any big takeaways about how things have changed? I know you, had played in a couple of other events and had some ideas about the meta but in the last three to four years has have things really changed in the bolt action community for australians biggest bolt action event
1: i guess so i'll have a bob each way and say um in some respects it felt like coming home again some things mm-hmm. hadn't changed like the the bolt action players are a great group of people. That hasn't changed they uh, love the game they are, are great players and great sportsmen and it was as I had found previously it was a real pleasure to to the event in terms of what has changed I think that it might be a little odd to say but I think some of the between the competitive players and the I guess you know less competitive players has um, I think gone out of out of the heat you know sort of come off the boil a bit that there doesn't seem to be the sort of tension I remember from a couple of years ago from people being really hard lists. And that's not a combination of that we've sort of bashed all the competitive people into conforming to some other idea. It's that the, I think that everyone has realised whether you want to play historically or whether you want to play competitively, you can do you can do that in bold action. And, and historical lists can be very competitive, and competitive lists can be sort of look and be very historical. So mm. my sense of the weekend and seeing all the players and seeing all the different armies is that sort of tension or conflict has come off the boil a bit. And everyone, I think, has um, moved towards, I don't know whether it's the centre, but certainly there's a more an understanding that they're not necessarily two different sides of a coin, that they are, you know, you can do both. You can have a, a great fun list that and still be and play very competitive um and a competitive list can still be you know uh, make for a great game and look great and have great historical theming
0: yeah exactly now aaron you've only been playing bolt action for the last three or so years but obviously you've done quite well with it this being your third cancon win could you talk to us a little bit about Did CanCon feel like what you would represent as the quote unquote Australian meta for the east coast of Australia, given, I mean, we do have a very robust west coast culture as well that uh, isn't as often talked about on a lot of podcasts since we tend to be on some of Australia's larger cities on the eastern side. Um, But given what you've seen, does does it conform with what you were expecting?
2: I think we, I mean, whenever you've got 60 players or 70 players, you're going to get a bit of a rainbow with listing or um, meta or whatever. I think you he's going to get a fair um, variance, a bit of variety. I think... I've noticed, so I remember the first camp I, I played, and look, sometimes, you know, it's anecdotal. You you, you don't play half the field. You, you don't even play a quarter of the field. You only play, you know, a handful of people. So you don't see every single list out there. But I feel like I have noticed a few choices creeping in in the last sort of couple of events that seem like they've stemmed from European meta in the East coast, but they're not necessarily things that I actually think are good choices anyway. But yeah, I know the West coast, I mean, I think the West coast is a very tight knit community. They're all obviously based within Perth or, you know, close to, so they Mm. sort of all know what each other, you know, brings and does. Whereas for us, we've sort of got, you know, pocket up in Queensland and New South Wales, Newcastle, Canberra, Melbourne, you know, so there's there's a bit more, I guess, distance between the East Coast pockets. So we do see yeah. I feel like a lot of variants at Cancon and Moab and those those events where we get lots of people. So yeah. Um I never really know exactly what to expect. I always feel like it's gonna be a bit of a bit of everything. Tanks are still pretty popular. I remember seeing lots of lots of tanks. I feel like that's mm-hmm. popular over here. But yeah, have seen a few few things creep in that i didn't see in the first two years of playing Um, it was a fantastic event i've heard of pete's uh, exploits as a to for about 24 months and then finally uh, uh got to experience it myself
0: pete it was good for you to come back to run this this year and this year you did do a couple of things differently compared to your runs in the past if there are people listening to this event Uh, Sorry, listening to this podcast and they are thinking about running events for themselves or they currently run events. Given that you have run CanCon many times slash other events, do you have any takeaways for prospective TOs um, that might be good for them to hear?
1: First and foremost is to go back to where we started. When you're doing the pack and running the event, run the event that you want to run. Don't pick up a standard pack would be my view. Um, think about what sort of event you want to run and how you want to run it, what you want your players to expect, and be clear about that in the pack and run the event you want to run. Second, um, especially for big events, make sure you got help as a TO. Don't don't try and do it alone. I did that for many years; it almost broke me. Mm-hmm. And I got a, I had great TO assistance um, this year, uh, so I think that's. Um, Really critical to have um, support, and also run your event to time. Keep it keep it on time. People will want to play longer if you let them. The you know, can I keep playing for a little bit longer? Um, But I think it it really helps the event. And if you stick to the times, whatever they are that you've posted. But also, as a to last thought, is just have fun yourself. Take don't get down in the sort of management of the event. Go around, talk to the players, look at all the armies, and enjoy the enjoy the event yourself. So those would be my offerings to anyone who's thinking about TOing a bolt action event.
0: I haven't played in a competitive event uh, outside of Melbourne in many years, and I have not actually um, I've not actually played at a CanCon. In bolt action since first edition the last first edition event um that i won and i have been concerned about coming back to play in competitive events knowing that i sort of have um, almost an allergic reaction to competitive play these days but given that i have to say that i was really pleasantly surprised at that just the number of fantastic opponents I had on the weekend and how many friendly faces that I hadn't seen in years that it was so good to see. And I made a ton of new friends as well. And I just want to say from a, a place of, I know what some people are thinking because I was literally there in January a few months ago going to an event like CanCon, a big event, can feel intimidating, particularly if you feel as though you are not, quote unquote, the most competitive player out there. But I assure you, you will have a good time. If you go and show up, you will find people that are equally passionate about these games that we love, and you will find people with shared interests, similar sense of humor, Uh, And you are going to have a wonderful time. I am so glad that I played in the bolt action event at CanCon this year and uh, driving home or getting a ride to the airport after CanCon this year. A friend of the show, Lee Avery, who was on the very first ever episode of the Warlord cast, uh, and I were talking about what are we going to take next year? So uh, I think if you are ever on the fence is this a thing for me i would 100 i would consider going because you're guaranteed games you're guaranteed games against people who love the game as much as you are you're gonna have a good time and you're gonna face things you've never faced before it'll be a tactical challenge it will make you uh, a better player and you'll have fun doing it so I think that if you are on the fence at all, you should definitely get in there and play in one of these wonderful games, uh, events out there, because they're all over the world and you can play in.
2: Oh, I don't think I could have said it much better myself, Brad. But it makes me really happy um, hearing you say that. And it was great to see you there and having a good time and everyone having a good time. And yeah, look, we're, we're all we're all in the same hobby, right? Like we're, we're all playing the same hobby. We all enjoy paying the models, putting together armies, playing, rolling dice, um, having a laugh, making friends, um, chatting about it afterwards, um, bit of friendly banner, bit of, mm-hmm. you know, friendly competition and whatnot is, yeah, all a culmination of a fun time. And, yeah, you're going to have a ball. And I, I, the, the, my first opponent, had a, it was his fourth game of bolt action, mm. um, Jared. Um, and he told, told me before the start of the game and, yeah, we were able to sort of just take things a bit slower and offer some um, hints and advice and things along the way. And, um, yeah, p- pull him up on a few things in terms of I wouldn't – don't do that. You need to do this. <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, just just to sort of help help with a few few things because um, yeah, like that's that takes a brave brave man to come and play at a massive event, only in your fourth game. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, um. But yeah, I was chatting to him after uh, the second day, and he had a great time. It's fun. I don't. I don't know anyone that didn't have have a blast. So.
0: Yeah, that was what I heard from just about everyone. I, In fact, everyone I talked to, I don't want to say, make it sound like I talked to someone who was grumbling. Every single person I talked to had a great time at the event. Peter, I can't ask. Uh, I can't answer this question as a TO who has run, I believe, six or seven events in the last two to three years uh, for Bolt Action here in Melbourne. I can't answer this question as the host of this show and not sound like a hopeless shill. So I'm going to pass this to you. How good is the new Warlord support system compared to three years ago, the last time you ran KenCon?
1: Uh, it is one of the things that has changed significantly. Um, and Warlord um, came to the party in a big way. Hmm through their local distributor war and peace and just look a shout out to war and peace they've always supported cancon and they uh, again in conjunction with warlord uh came through with a huge box of stuff um and it was really great prize support um one thing i would we we tried a bit of a different approach with prizes this year rather than mm. sort of i guess backload everything um, to make sure uh, you know everyone got a good um, a good prize or, or something out of the event this year we did um, a goodies bag for all players which we just gave out up front um, so besides the great prop from warlord and were able to hand out to all the winners um, everyone at the event got a goodies bag which included um, a building from Dark Castle Terrain, a local Australian manufacturer of MDF. So please check them out. Um, and they also included a miniature sculpted specifically for Cancon by Medbury Miniatures. So huge shout-out to Medbury Miniatures who um, uh, did those, not only sculpted, but cast and gave us all those minis. So absolute um, legends. And a couple of others, uh, House of War, Great great venue in Melbourne Um, and not only do they support Bolt Action in Melbourne for the second year running they supported um, with a prize of a 3D printer Uh, that was again absolutely amazing Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, 3D Miniatures and Terrain who's another local uh, 3D printing company uh, has come to the party um, with some prizes for the winners as well so look we had really great prize support Um, everyone to the event got something um, and so, look, I, I hope everyone uh, left uh, happy. Um, oh, sorry, one last. I shouldn't forget my fellow TO, uh, Drew Baxter uh, runs the Wargaming Centre in Victoria. Um, some of you may have seen on Post's uh, big um, stalling team that um, he's, he helped run last weekend. Um, but... Um, he also sponsored the event and gave us uh, it gave everyone a, um, a measure which you wouldn't believe how useful that came in tape measure which was extremely mm-hmm. useful to a number of players throughout the weekend so again can't thank the community enough um, they always come through with great prizes and absolutely uh, warlord and their new event support is just outstanding um, if you're going to run an event in australia contact them through war and peace and they will hook you up um in a big way
0: and if you're running them anywhere else in the world please contact warlord directly uh, and our good friends will sort you right out gentlemen we have been going for an hour and a half and this makes a one of the longer episodes of the warlord cast that we've ever recorded i do know that we need to uh call it a day but I cannot thank you enough for joining us. If we were talking about Australia's biggest event, which of course we were, and we were going into the depth that we were, of course we went a little bit longer, but I can't think of better people to do this show with this week. Peter, thank you so much again for both running CanCon and for coming on today. I had a wonderful time and it's always a pleasure to talk shop, brother.
1: Always a pleasure to talk bold action with you, Brad.
0: And Mr. Russell, congratulations again! What is this? The hat trick? Or do you just do they just hand you the prizes now? Do you even need to play? <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on, sir.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, th- thanks for having me again. It is always a pleasure, and um, of course, the uh, Pete and Drew and Jace um, ran an absolute uh, cracker event. Um, and yeah, thanks for having us. It was a fun time.
0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for listening to the Warlord Games official podcast. If you have any feedback for the show, if you have anything you would like to hear, keeping in mind that Akhtun Panzer is coming to this show very soon, please, I know I've gotten a ton of requests for that, please do contact me via the... Uh, network that this podcast appears on, the Cast Dice Podcast Network. You can find us on Facebook under C A S T D I C E. If you message the page, you're guaranteed a response. Um, and as always, we love to hear your thoughts. Uh, be it compliments, be it suggestions for show topics, or if you you know have other ideas um, and you would like the show to improve, please do message the show. We always want to hear from you. But Alas, that is the end of today's show. Thank you very much for joining us, and thank you for playing Warlord Games. Good night.